You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Tech Fan Podcast 139. I'm Tim Robertson, and as always, David Cohen is here. Hey, 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 hey. Starting a little late today. You, uh, you're, you, over there in the UK and all of Europe, I believe, you guys already had your daylight savings time change. We changed, changed last Sunday, yeah. Yeah, we changed this Saturday, so tomorrow is I record this. Yeah. Why do, I don't understand daylight savings times at all. Do you? I, I tried to explain it to my uh, kids, and they looked at me like I was talking Swahili because it was such an odd concept. It's like, well, so it's going to get darker earlier, so we're going to change the clocks to try and make it get darker even earlier, so it's lighter first thing in the morning for the farmers. Which makes no the, sense because the farmers have never gone by the clock. They've always gone by, you know, the weather and if it's light or dark or it doesn't, they don't wake up by an alarm clock necessarily. No, I guess they wake up when they hear um, the rooster, Bessie, Bessie the cow <laughs> saying, Murr. feed me, Murr. help me. <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't know much about farming, but the, you'd have thought in the 21st century that the way farming occurs would not necessarily be dictated by what time the sun comes up. You know what? Go ahead. Keep talking. I'm, I'm yeah. pulling out my iPad. Yeah. And uh, let's see. I'm going to do a search. I got to put on my reading glasses because I'm an old fart now. <laughs> Why do we have. Day. Oh, look at that. It's the third search down. I only hit DA. <laughs> right. <laughs> so let's uh, let's see what it says. Oops, I clicked. Sometimes you know that's a problem. Sometimes with the uh, an iPad or um, whatever, whatever device you're using, yeah. is you know you double click or double tap to make the text come up bigger. Yeah. And sometimes, and I just did it again, sometimes you do that, and there's a link right underneath where you're double tapping. So it opens a new page. You're like, oh. Then you, you have mean to hit the back a- You mean Apple doesn't have technology to figure out whether you're tapping to go bigger rather than tapping to um, to click on the link? I'm amazed. <laughs> um, the modern idea of daylight savings time was first proposed in 1895 by George Vernon Hudson, and was first implemented by Germany, of course. Figures. Yeah. And uh, Austria-Hungary, starting on 30 April 1916. Many countries have used it at various times since then. Much of the United States uses DST in the 1950s and 60s, and DST use expanded following the 1970s energy crisis. It has been widely used in North America and Europe since. The practice has been both praised and criticized. I'll put my vote firmly in the criticized. Uh, Because here's the thing. Daylight savings times is the actual time. Like, you know, when you set your clocks back, that's actually the correct time. When you do that whole spring forward thing, moving the clocks forward, that is not the correct time. So the idea is is to make it lighter in the summer, make it lighter later in the summer. Adding daylight to evenings benefits retailing, sports, and other activities that exploit sunlight after working hours, but can cause problems for evening entertainment and other occupations tied to the sun, such as farming, or to darkness, such as driving theaters. Yeah. 
Well, I, I, the problem is, is whatever you do, you're going to upset somebody. Yeah. So in in that respect, Just it seems it simpler to me to leave it alone yeah. rather than move it. Because you're moving it twice a year, that's twice a UN, people are gri- griping it, about it, just like we are now. Yeah, and, and it just, it's a disruptive thing. It, I don't know anybody, everybody loves it when you fall back. Everybody loves it. Oh, I get to sleep in for an extra hour. No, well, you yeah, don't actually. you don't, but, not if you have children, because they don't know. Well, you get them on a set schedule. This I mean, is the problem. This yeah. is what happened to us last weekend, is both the kids were up extremely early. Because as far as they were concerned, it was normal time to get up. So we didn't get any time in. So here's my question. How many devices, and you're going to have to do this in your head quickly, in your house do you have to manually go and change? Uh, I know the answer to this. Yeah? Yeah. Because basically there are four devices that I have (laughs) to change. That's funny. That's exactly how many I have. (laughs) Four. Let me hear yours. There's a clock on the cooker. Uh-huh. What's the the, on the, the, the cooker is then the stove. Yeah, yeah, the stove, yeah. Yep. The clock on the microwave. Yep. Um and then there's there's two manual clocks in the house that that don't have like radio or anything that have to be changed. And that's it. Everything else kind of picks up. Mine is the stove, the microwave and uh two alarm clocks, one in yeah. my bedroom and one in the kids' bedroom. Yeah. So it's the same thing. Same thing. Yeah. Anything that's not connected to the internet or any kind of services have to be changed manually. And all of those things, honestly, it's, it's nothing to change. And that's not where my gripe comes from. If something well, no, isn't broke, just leave yeah. it alone. Except that you always know, there's always a, a small group of people who don't get the memo. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, and either turn up somewhere early or aren't up when you go around to do something on, on that Sunday morning after it's changed. And uh, I didn't know. I didn't know. It was so stupid. All this sort of thing. I mean, it, you know, it. It's kind of. Again, I've, I've it just, never missed it. Doesn't it doesn't seem. It doesn't seem modern. That's the problem. Yeah, I think that's exactly the problem. I I kind of get it. Back in the 1800s, where this idiot proposed, you know, when he proposed it, but it it doesn't make any sense now. We don't need it now. Yeah. I, I honestly don't believe we do. Maybe somebody out there listening disagrees lord knows i got enough disagreement last week with my rants against i work <laughs> but uh i i, I, I uh, yeah i always wonder how you cope i mean it's hard enough in the states as it is because you have three time zones but yeah. don't you have some states next to each other one of whom um it uses daylight saving some the other one doesn't i'm pretty sure arizona doesn't uh i think they all do now actually yeah maybe arizona still doesn't i'm not sure my understanding was that everybody observes it at this point. Indiana was the worst because they left it up to the cities <laughs> <laughs> or at least the counties. So you could literally is, go back in time and then forward the again most, in time by staying on a straight line. That is the most stupid thing I have ever heard. <laughs> so if you live close to uh, you know where they have a time change... Uh, that can screw you up a little bit. Uh, it, I can imagine so. But it's not so bad now. But it used to be you would have to uh, call ahead. Okay, what time is it there right now? Because at some point, we were like a two-hour difference from Indiana, and then we were only an hour difference. Oh, it, it's, it was so confusing. You know what the problem is? 
our concept of time. Time time is an illusion. Lunchtime is doubly an illusion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing is, is that, you know, our obsession with clocks and time, it's just like we, we should learn to let go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree with you. Who cares what time it is? Yeah, it doesn't matter. They need to get done, just do it. Yeah. So I've been on vacation all this week. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I haven't done anything. No? No. Nothing no. at all? No. You just lied in bed the whole time? No, I, I played some video games. No, I did some cleaning, honestly. Yeah. Uh, yesterday was ha- Halloween. I know you guys celebrate that, too. We uh, do. Do you guys do it on the uh, October 31st as well? Yeah. Yeah? How did it go? Do you take the kids trick-or-treating? Well, we didn't because um, trick-or-treating is, is relatively novel here. They've only started doing it the last few years, and uh, a lot of people who don't do it, really. Um, in fact, nobody knocked on the door last night. But Thursday nights is, is kids swimming lesson night. So after school, we take them for a swimming lesson. Uh-huh. So we were doing that. But uh, my youngest, Charlotte, she insisted on uh, dressing up in her Halloween costume, which was some sort of black fairy affair. Um, which she was very pleased with. And so I came from work and I met them for dinner after they'd done the swimming lesson. And I was wearing um, a kind of a cool thing called uh, digital duds. I don't know you heard of those. Never. They're, um, it's, it, it turned up as a guy who invented it just for a kind of a cool thing to do. And it kind of exploded. And now it's his business. He's packed his job in to do this. So the idea is you get a T-shirt with um, some sort of design on it and uh, there's a hole in the t-shirt and behind the hole there is a kind of a velcro pouch that takes your phone and you run an app on the phone that projects something through the hole in the t-shirt so you can have kind of a you know a a zombie head with the eyes being pulled open by um by a kind of metal metal grabs and then the the eyeball inside the inside is moving because that's the projected thing from the phone i was wearing one that was kind of like those um those portraits you see in the haunted mansion at Disney Disneyland or Disney World. Mm-hmm. So it looks like an old guy's portrait, but the phone is the eyes. So the eyes are moving and blinking and looking around the whole time. Um, and uh, <laughs> I must admit, I kind of got a kick out of it. That I walked through through the town centre to the restaurant where I was meeting them for for dinner. Yeah, and people are kind of doing double takes as I walk along. And then when I walked in the restaurant, I got everyone, you know, they would look over me and I'd see their eyes drift down to my chest. <laughs> kind of, again, do this double take because they saw what I was wearing. But the kids got a real kick out of it. They thought it was very cool. So you've kind of so, felt like a woman for a while. Everyone yeah, was looking I guess, at your chest. I guess so. I guess that My might eyes be are up here, guys. Yeah, I suppose, suppose that's, how, that's how it would be. <laughs> um, so, uh, but yeah, I did it for the, the kids and they enjoyed it. They thought it was fun. That's awesome. So they also... They also do one which kind of is quite gory. It has like your 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 chest and your ribs is all exposed, and then the, you can see the beating heart. And if you kind of jerk and and like activate the motion sensor on the phone, then you see this hand come from behind the heart and kind of grab it and rip it away. Um, so it, yeah, it's quite it's quite cool. But if you do a search on on online for digital dodge, you'll find them. They're not expensive, and uh, it's kind of a little bit different for. Uh, uh, a Halloween dress up and quite easy to do for us uh, oldies rather than getting all the makeup out. Kind of a UK thing because I've never heard of it here in the United States nor have I seen one. Uh, I was sure that the guy who invented them actually was was American. Uh, he is tied he is tied up with a with a, an English company called Morph Suits, 
Um, but yeah, the, yeah, if you if you go to morphsuits.com, you'll see you'll see they have uh, a whole load of different ones there. Send me yeah. a uh, link. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, cool. And I won't if you don't. <laughs> so so anybody going to our website looking for a link if it's not theirs because David didn't send me a link. The link is coming now. So. Not a whole lot for me going on in the tech world this week, obviously, uh, taking a vacation. Yeah. Um, the I told you about the house across the street that's abandoned. Yeah. That I've been helping the guy with. Mm-hmm. Uh, had an alarm system put in there yesterday, or uh, this week. And, you know, it's the same alarm company that I use for my own house. But I got mine installed, you know, 14 years ago. So I was kind of looking forward to seeing the new sleeker, whatever you want to call it, kind of control pad. Yeah. It's this big, ugly, white, clunky thing. I couldn't believe it. I was it, it, The one I've got is, twice, is, is half the size and does exactly the same thing. But is that one of those things where the more you spend, the better the alarm pad you get? Well, that's true in every, anything, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you, you'd think nowadays that they would have smartphone apps. and In fact, I said this to my dad the other day. I was trying to unlock the door as we were going out somewhere, and I said, but how come nobody's ever done the thing you have for your car, the remote control? They do. Why, why don't you do that in your house? Yeah, but they may, it may be, but I'm sure it's certainly possible that people have done it, but nobody does it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You mean it's like the little button, so you push the button? Yeah, like a, like a plipper, and you plip it, yeah, and the no, house beeps, I, and it's locked. Do, guy, is, that a big th- is that a big thing in the U.S.? Well, no, no, it won't lock the doors for you. Because you have, you'd have to run power to your door. Yeah. Pe- well, people are lazy. They're not going to do that. It's kind of a good idea, though. I mean, when yeah, you think about it, it is. you push a button, and it unlocks the... Now, do, does, the same, does the same button, though, arm and disarm your alarm? Well, that's what you want it to do. No, you don't, because you want that to be on a separate thing. Otherwise, somebody with a scanner could pick up the frequency, record it, play it back, spoof well, no, it. You would, you'd want it to be digital. You'd want it to be encrypted. You'd want it to use Bluetooth or something modern rather than uh, just a plain radio frequency. But just in the same way that, I mean, scanning cars, is that still a thing? No, not really. I do remember oh. there was a thing probably in the early 90s, late 80s maybe, that uh, people would drive around neighborhoods with this off-frequency device that would basically operate on the same frequencies as garage door open openers. Yeah. Because if you had a, a, you know, a garage, you probably had a door from your garage to your house. And they would just drive around until they got a hit. They would mark it on a map, and then they would come back during the day, usually when people are gone. Yeah. And they would, you know, pull right into the garage and steal everything and pull out. You would hope nowadays these systems are more sophisticated. And rather than just, oh, I heard a signal on that frequency, um, it would actually be, well, that's a carrier. But in fact, there's digital data going with encryption and IDs and all that sort of thing. I like the idea that you could... Sync it to a Bluetooth device. So you don't even need a remote. All you need is your cell no, phone. If your phone. And you have an app on your phone. Yeah. yeah. I guess you'd be out of luck if, if your phone battery was flat and you couldn't get it in your house. So all, and that's yeah, where the well, charger is. <laughs> yeah. But you push a button on your phone and it's it's synced to that door lock. It, it will only work with that door lock. So you're going to need a keypad or some kind of device. Well, you're you're going to want your alarm system controlling all of this, aren't you? Or something. So you're going to want it. You're going to want it to be able to um, 
activate the door locks, uh, to activate the window alarms and the internal sensors and everything like that. But you also and want, you're to want to be able the to, door. Yeah, you also want a thing which will be able to activate or disactivate your door locks on their own without necessarily doing the alarm. But the thing is, again, if, it's, if you have something intelligent controlling everything, then it should be able to do that. So I could get home. I've got a bag of groceries. I push the app. I, I launch the app. I push a button. It both disarms my alarm system and opens the door for me. Yeah. And of course, you know, you could do more sophisticated things. So effectively, it Bluetooth is, is short range. So it heartbeats your phone. And if you set your primary phone to be the main phone, then if, if at any time it hasn't seen your phone to 20 minutes, half an hour, it sends you a text saying, are you at home still? Do you want me to lock up? Yeah, set the alarm. And then you go, yeah, and then it does. I like the uh, I like the concept. Yeah, I think it would be expensive initially. I well, yeah, I, I well, would it would it not? I mean, the the hard thing with that really is that you'd want to make it properly secure. I mean, you could you could design a PC app that could do that, and, and I'm sure the the links to the uh, electrical devices are not particularly hard either. But the, the the trick would be to actually get all the encryption going so that actually the whole thing is secure and nobody can can hack it or spoof it right that's a software issue though but yeah but i i can't i i can i can't imagine that uh, something like that would be much more than than you pay for existing alarms and panels unless and <laughs> unless those that that's a market where because it's closed and it's all proprietary in fact it is the mark the markups you're paying don't actually reflect the reflect the cost of the devices yeah no actually the devices themselves are generally they they give those away if not for free then really cheap because their their money is in the monthly monitoring. They want a service here. Right. I, I pay on a quarterly basis to ADT like 125 bucks. Let's see, I used to have an alarm system like that at, at my at an older house and I remember when we sold the house, I'd written to ADT when we put it up for the market and I said, Look, we're selling the house. Um, just to let you know there's gonna come a time when you either need to transfer the service to somebody new, or if the people don't like, don't want the service, then you're going to have to terminate. And I wrote some, you know, and we took us about four or five months to sell the house to complete and all of that. But when I left, of course, like, you know, I, I wrote some and said, right, that's it, you know, all, all well and good. And they wrote to me, so oh, no, you owe us 250, 265 pounds. Wow. Because you've gone into a new contract service, contract service period now, and that means you have to pay us a year's money. And I was like, well, I told you six months ago I was moving. You never wrote back. You didn't communicate with me. You just kept on taking my money. I said, no, you're not having money. I said, I'm not paying for a service I'm not using. Speak to the owner of the house. Your panel's there. <laughs> so, hmm. uh, yeah, that's that's the joy of ongoing services. It, it is. Um, you know, I had the same thing happen with Comcast when I had my office in downtown Battle Creek before I closed that office. And... Uh, I had eight or uh, Comcast business services. So I called and told them to cancel it, you know, um, and I'm probably going to get it elsewhere. Oh, no, 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 no. I take that back. I had an office out by I-94 uh, highway. In fact, I did a uh, OWC radio. Talk I remember. About, yeah. Yeah. And I moved my office to downtown Battle Creek and I couldn't get Comcast there because the part of my rent was internet connection it was fiber it was really fast too i loved it yeah 
Could, I, but my office was in the basement, so I couldn't get a cell cell reception. <laughs> I mean, two of my walls, three of my walls were um, foundation walls, and the other side was the old bank vault from the 1910s, 20s. So, yeah, there's cell, cell reception is not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And I called Comcast and said, you know, I'm going to have to cancel this. Um but I'm not canceling my home account. Now, you guys have me set up with two different accounts, but I still have my home account. But I like to bump my home account up to the faster speeds. So they did that in lieu of a penalty. But, of yeah. course, one division doesn't always talk to the other. And it was like two years before they finally got rid of it. But I was getting collection calls, and I, I was I was so ticked off. But that's all about, hey, you broke a contract, you owe us money. Well, yeah, but I talked to the sales guy, and he said this is okay, and I've got an email from him. Yeah, we don't have a record of that. Well, I'm happy to send you the email. Okay, yeah, thanks. So you send him an email, and then the same thing repeats itself a week yeah, later. Exactly. <laughs> you know like, what? Sometimes you, it goes back to what I was saying about that. Sometimes you do wonder, are we living in the 21st century, or are we not? No, here's How the thing, David. I think it's it, it, there's that's always going to be an internal struggle. With us as humans, as we progress technologically, there's still a part of us, that Neanderthal, who wants to revert back to the way things were. You know? It's hard for us to really... I think you and I probably embrace change. And people listening to this podcast probably embrace change much more quickly than the average person because we're heavily into tech. And let's be honest, if you don't embrace change you're not going to be heavy into tech because it just, it's such a rapid pace. But as a species, we really do get set in our ways. Don't we? I I think people are generally resistant to change and fear change. Um, And I think that can be expressed by, you know, effectively a a refusal to address change. And, and, you know, let's, let's be generous in, and you're, you're a businessman, you run a business you know that changing a business costs money. Yeah. The disruption, the potential of lost sales while you're dealing with the change, the strain on your resources and everything, it costs money. So you can sometimes not blame a business for resisting that change. A lot of us feel naturally when we encounter things like this where, where uh, practices seem to be stuck in the past. There's, there's an inbuilt assumption that, oh, well, they deliberately keep that on because it keeps them more money. They deliberately uh, are archaic about how they communicate internally because it, uh, that means the service stays on longer and they get more money. I don't think that's true. I think I, I, I tend to, where, where a lot of people see conspiracy, I tend to see incompetence. <laughs> no. I would agree, that, and yeah, it's just that just that management has not identified that there is an issue there, and as far as they're concerned, it's working fine. So they don't want to seek to address it. Uh, and coupled with the fact that when they do start, if somebody has the bright idea to address it, and they say, "Well, you know, we could do this," and then somebody says, "Well, the cost of change is X. Does that is that going to is that change going to bring us any more money in? No. So okay, we'll do it one day, but we'll do it." when it suits us, not when, not when you decide it should be done. I, I think the mismanagement is part of it. I also think that, I'll give you an example. You bring in a technology that completely changes the way you track customer information, right? Mm-hmm. People are still looking elsewhere for that customer's contact information instead of the new system. Or they're not populating the new system 
as they go along, they continue using the old system. So a lot of it is management does an inadequate job of really training or explaining why you're making this change and why it's better for you. And since people don't quite understand it and it's not intuitive to them immediately, they just revert back to the way it was because they think they're more efficient that way. Well, I could do do it over here much quicker. Well, yes, right now, because you're used to it, but if you use this system for, say, three weeks, it'll be twice as fast, and it'll be more accurate, and it'll be this, and it'll be that. But it's still, it's that, you know, I had a hard time getting my techs at Mac Specialist to use a system that we used online that would, every time you touch a computer, you're supposed to use a system that generates an email to let the customers know, okay, uh, we're waiting for parts. Yeah. Uh, parts have been ordered. Your computer is under triage right now. Hey, it's it's repaired and it's ready to be picked up. Every customer should get at least three emails. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, I could track exactly the emails that are being sent out. I can look and see, well, you, you guys are not using the system. Yeah. And I knew they weren't using the system. They did it first, and then they slacked off. Then they would do it again, then they would slack off. And I finally had to threaten them with write-ups if you stop, if yeah. you don't use it. Um, and, and here's the thing. I completely explained what the benefits were. I showed them how to use it. It was very simple. They were just lethargic. They were resistant yeah. to change. Uh, yeah. Well, when the computer's done, that's when I call the customer and let them know. Well, yeah, that's great, except I can see through the voice messages that are left, because I get a copy of every voice message that's left in the entire company. Mm-hmm. Um, unless it's to one person's particular line, then I might not. But regardless, um, the call volume would go up. I'm, I'm just calling to find out what the status is of my repair is. Yeah. Well, when I saw that, I would go to our tracker program and go, oh, look, he hasn't been sending the emails. That's why they're mm-hmm. calling again, because the customer doesn't know. Yeah. Now, initially, the reaction was, well, well, if we have their computer, what good is it going to do to send them an email? Uh, because most people have either their multiple computers or mobile devices now. And the customer just wants to be informed on what's going on. But when they were using it, that call volume dropped to almost nothing. Yeah. And customers were happy. Right. Because people knew. So as I continuously explained to our employees why this needed to be done and what the benefit was, we started seeing survey results from our customers that were more positive. They were much happier. Even though the cost of the repairs didn't change, they were happier because they were a better informed customer. And let's be honest, David, as customers ourselves, when we're better informed on what's going on, we're happier. Well, it goes back to what I said before, is is a lot of people will assume some sort of conspiracy if they have in the in the absence of information. Right. They will assume it's a human tendency to assume the worst. And so if they don't hear from you. They'll assume that maybe the computer can't be fixed, or maybe it's been lost. Or you or, may be incompetent. Yeah, it, all of these things, but they're not. The, what the last thing they're going to going to assume is, oh, I bet that they're working hard on it, but they just haven't got around to let me know how it's going. Right. I mean, how many times have you <laughs> taken your car in for repair and you had to call to find out what was going on with it? it used yeah. to happen all the time. Yeah, and, it's, and especially actually, some, it still does it now. Yeah, especially if somebody says, "Well, I'll, I'll I will call you," and then they don't. Right. So, so you know that is a thing. But well, I, all of those things are kind of. I think people 
in the know recognize those problems. And they're, you know, they also, most people nowadays recognize when they call up a service because they have a problem and they get somebody who's, who's just basically a call handler, that having a go at that call handler is just not constructive because those people are not, don't have the organizational power to actually affect the change that you're looking for. Or worse, um, when you're calling about something like a repair and the person you're talking to, they, don't, they have no idea. They're not the one working on it. They don't talk to that person. Yeah. They can don't I have take, information. Right. Can I take your information? Yeah. Can I take your name and number? I have them call you back, and then they don't call yeah. you back. I, those things. So why don't we come up with a system, David? We'll use iPads. It's an online system. So this business would have to have Wi-Fi, which, let's be honest, most of them do now. With an external keyboard, like, you know, that standalone Zag keyboard or something. Because that's also kind of a dock thing. You put your yeah. iPad in there. You would need to plug your iPad in so it doesn't run out of juice. But all you have to do to change for, for auto garages, for instance, you, you have to change two things at the beginning. You have to change um, your communication with the customer right at the beginning. And you have to ask for... An email address and you simply tell the customer okay this is all providing that the, the repairs not going to just take an hour or two yeah and you just get their email address and you make sure that mechanic stops every five uh, every hour for two minutes on the car they're working on to go generate an email to the customer yeah and, it, and it's not like the guys have to type you know yeah i mean like you say you can have a system so the, the the system then constructs an email that yeah. sounds like it was written by a human, but isn't necessarily written by a human. Right. So that they so may that, have to put in something, you know, like an invoice number or customer yeah. name or something like that, and then you give them a paragraph that just, you know, you you could type in your part of the message, but then it's just formatted in with the rest of the message. That's exactly what we use right now. Yeah. And, it, you know, the customer gets uh, an HTML email with your company's logo at the top, your contact information, a link to your website, and uh, it just lets the customer know what's going on. You can use exactly yeah. the same system to, to do surveys. Yeah. So you can find out what your customers actually think. Let's, let's go ahead and start this up, David. What time is That's it now? It's uh, 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We should have this whipped out by four, I think. Uh, I think so, yeah. yeah. We could do this. Close to the grindstone. Get it done. Yeah. Um, you know what, what? You know what really irritates me more than all of these things? Because as I say, I think people appreciate that we, even within a business, sometimes these changes are hard. When you're dealing with a, a, a business or an organization electronically and they have pushed you that way, that is how they have chosen. That's the channel they've used, to use a bit marketing speak, to, to interact with you. Yep. And then, and then the white you the, you kind of you know they let they let you see behind the curtain to realise they're not actually using it smartly, and it's right. so irritating. Prime example, um, email mailing lists. Yeah, I go to I go to VMworld every year, and so I go to VMworld and they give you a badge, and obviously the badge has a barcode on it that's linked to my uh, VMworld account, where, and obviously I paid to go to the conference. So VMworld has all sorts of information about me. So as you're going around the conference, you Whenever you interact with a, a, 
a, a, a staff member or a somebody on a stand, particularly if they're giving you information that you're interested in or you're asking questions and that, they, they want to scan your badge so they've got a record of your visit to the stand. And of course, what happens then afterwards is that you get a lot of marketing. You get automatic. The deal is you basically you get signed up to marketing lists as a result of that interaction. Um, what irritates me is that, okay, so that whole process has been electronic from beginning to end. I sign up for my conference online. I pay for my conference online. I may even book my tickets to my hotel through VMware online. I then travel to the conference. I register electronically. I put my details in, they give me my badge, my bag, all of this sort of thing. And then I'm going around the conference floor and every interaction I have, that badge is scanned by a handheld Wi-Fi scanner. And my addition to that mailing list is automated online. Right. So when I start getting, and obviously, you know, particularly for me being somebody from the UK, I start getting a lot of American email <laughs> from guys who only really sell to the American market because it's the American show. So an awful lot of it I don't really want. It's not relevant to me. I click the unsubscribe buttons at the, the, the bottom of those mails. Normally after I about get, got about the third or fourth one, yeah, I'm thinking, I really don't need this. I get it one. And it goes to a web page, and it says, are you sure you want to unsubscribe? Sometimes it might ask you why you want to unsubscribe. But there's a button at the bottom that says, click here, and you'll be unsubscribed. Yep. Then two things go wrong that wind me up. First of all, is very often I will then get another email confirming my unsubscription, which is so stupid because the reason I pressed that button, I didn't want any more email from them. <laughs> you know, The second one, and this really ticks me off, is you get a screen that says, thank you very much for opting out of our subscription. Um, we will address this immediately, and we guarantee you that within 15 working days, you will receive no e more email from us. And you look at that, and you go, what? Uh, 15 days? What are you, crazy? 15 working days? You know what the one I hate is? <laughs> and I see this more than either one of those. I see the ones where you unsubscribe, and it says you're off the list. And then you get an email that says, we're sorry to see you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, people are going to read that and go, oh, they're so nice. What was I thinking? Of course I don't want to quit. I'm well, no, back they're, in. They're their attitude is that perhaps you went through that whole process by mistake and you didn't really mean to uh, to, to move from their unsolicited marketing list. Yeah, I, I unsubscribed from some list. I don't remember which one it was. This was a few, well, a couple of years ago now. So I click the unsubscribe button. I go there and it gives me a, are you sure you want to unsubscribe? Because someone may accidentally click that button in their email, right? That link. And it says, hey, Tim at MyMac.com, are you sure you want to unsubscribe from such and such list? Okay, I, that's cool. So I click yes. Uh, that page goes away and a, just a text comes up and says, see ya. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> and I was like, hmm. never got another email. They didn't resolicit me for anything. I didn't get the sorry to see you go crappy email. It was just, see ya. I was like, that's, yeah. I kind of like that. It almost but, made me want to rejoin it. <laughs> yeah. You, have, you really do have to wonder, you know, um, what, what, why these strategies occur and why, oh, to go back to that 15 working days, it's like, what, what are they doing? Right. That would imply that there is some guy somewhere 
with a desk and right. a big in tray. And what happens when you click the unsubscribes is it prints something out and it gets put in his in tray and it takes him 15 working days to get to it and actually make sure you don't get any more email. Yeah, even and though we like, know it's just an automated thing, but they delay the unsubscribe so they can hit you a few more times with emailing. Uh, but yeah, but the point is, if you've clicked the unsubscribe button, you've already told them that you don't read the stuff that they yeah, send but, you. Yeah, I, yeah. You know? Hey, you, let's, you know, uh, okay. let's take a quick break, David. We'll be right back. Yeah. Hello, people. My name's Peter Bird, and I'm the host of the Deep Look podcast. The idea behind the show is that we talk to our guests, and we learn more about them, the subjects, the people, the things that shape their lives, or the things they're interested in or the things they would possibly want to know more about. Basically, we just like to look a little deeper and see what's there and to learn. If that appeals to you, or you like that idea, or if even if you have a guest that you think we should try and speak to, then come on by and give us a go. We are part of the Stoplight Network. Tech fan 139, Tim Robertson, that's me, David Cohen, that's him. Hey, if you guys want to contact us, our email is tim at techfanpodcast.com or david at techfanpodcast.com. And if having emailed us, you don't want to receive any more email from us, it will take us only 30 working days. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did get some, uh, I did get a tweet. I was surprised I didn't get more contact from the listeners about my rants last week to be honest i was expecting well, more yeah i'm surprised as well because i've upgraded two machines to mavericks now uh and i've not had the problems you've had uh-huh um it's working very well for me one of which was a quite an old machine it was actually a probably the oldest thing that would run mavericks it was 2007 macbook pro but the only difference is i didn't do in place upgrades i did clean installs and i'm you know i'd, I'd still say you've got some driver or something going on there that's causing that slowdown. I've seen USB devices, storage devices to do that before, where they, they drag the whole system down. But I, um, that, 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 I mean, it's, it definitely seems to be a bit of an edge case. I mean, have you, have you been rolling out Mavericks within the stores? They have, but I haven't been there, remember? I, I'm on vacation uh, right, this week. Oh, right, okay, yeah. So, right. Um, but I mean, the, those the, are bare-bone machines as far as the demo units. Yeah. Uh, we are not rolling it out uh, employee-wide because of the Gmail problem because MacSpecialist.com email actually is Gmail. And uh, there's huge problems there moving it to different folders. And we, I can't have that. So yeah, we're not rolling uh, it out to our employees until as, that's addressed. As, yeah, as I said last week, I mean, we've been talking on the, uh, on the, on the internal list about this as well because a few people had this problem. I think I think the fault there is at least fifty percent Google because they have just have a completely non-standard IMAP implementation, and that's and what Apple has basically done is they've adopted the standards, and it just doesn't work. If you particularly if you've kind of fettled it before to make it work better with Gmail, yeah, the new one doesn't work. Um, you know, it's still a problem that needs dealing with. Uh, I I've actually switched to a new mail client that I'm very happy with, uh, called Airmail. Is it Airmail or is it Airplane? Airmail. Uh, I believe it's called, which is, uh, you can get from the Mac on, App Store. Yeah, well, we were talking about this on the uh, internal mymac.com staff yeah. email list, yeah. Yeah. So, the uh, it's pretty good. It's, it's cheap. Um, it's a little bit like Sparrow. You remember Sparrow? I do remember the, Sparrow. Google yeah, bought them, yeah. right? 
Google bought them and buried it. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> we've never seen it since. Yeah. Um, it's actually pretty nice. I like it as well because it will talk to Exchange. So I actually can have one one email application now on my Mac at work that actually will allow me to see my corporate email as well as my personal email all on the same client. It, you know, it, I mean, it's it's fairly new. So there are occasion, occasionally it can be a little bit buggy or a bit non-intuitive. But um, I, I really like it. It's pretty good, I hmm. find. You know, um, uh, and it's, it's lightweight, which is what i really wanted right. you know the, the, like, the problem i've always found with that with any version of apple mail is that um oh, over time yeah it, it just slows down because you particularly if you have a lot of mail and i've uh, got a ton of email yeah yeah this is this is really pretty good and it supports quite a lot of stuff so i did get a tweet i got a couple of emails but I'm i'm not going to launch the computer where that's on right now uh, Terry Jenkins on Twitter says, I feel the opposite uh, to Tim on TechFan138. In my opinion, in his humble opinion, I should say, the new Apple software updates are all solid improvements. Um, I, I don't see there's any improvement with the iWork apps at all. I mean, are, are, it's, they're all step backs to me. I think, I mean, my my attitude to this is that it seems to me what Apple wanted to do was get everything onto the same code base and they've decided and move to use the from there. Yeah. And move forward from there. I think a lot of the features that have gone will come back in time because I think this is the way Apple tends to do this. So uh, features will come back in future releases, but they what they want to do is they actually want to get a harmonized platform so that you get the same sort of experience and, f- and more important, the file compatibility between the same app on on iOS and Mac because in the past if you've moved even a, a, a pages file between the Mac and, and the and the um, iPad it'll get screwed up because you know, the two the two things don't don't run properly as we talk here doing this podcast and I, I noticed myself doing this a few times now David because you know I'm at my home office as we yeah. record this and I've got change sitting on my desk and as you're mm-hmm. talking or I'm talking I have a tendency to reach over and um, play with the change on my desk, but I fondle your coins. Yes, fondle the coins. But what I do is I end up making little pyramids with them. <laughs> do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> so I've got I've got two pyramids right now. I've got a three line pyramid, which is three pennies on the bottom, two dimes, and then one nickel. Yeah. But the other one I had uh, an out assortment, but I worked it out. It's a four line pyramid. Two quarters, two pennies on the bottom, then three pennies, then two dimes, then one dime. <laughs> so is there a relationship between the quality of my conversation and the, no. the way the, the coins complexity get of the coin pyramid? <laughs> the more boring I am, then the higher the coins get. No. No, because I do half of it when I'm actually talking. So, um, so um, hey, did you go, have you gone to mymac.com within the last day or two? Uh, not recently, no. no. You should go there. I've got a brand new review up there. You're clicking right now, aren't you? I am, yeah. Yeah. It's the second one down. It was posted yesterday, which was, of course, Halloween. Uh, it was a review that I've been writing now for six months. Literally. I'm not kidding. It's taken me yeah. six months to finish it. I just, every time I would start going back to finish the review, I just, I couldn't. I couldn't push through it. 
I don't know why. That's what, maybe you're going deaf in the key clicks. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so it's the, da, the the DAS keyboard Model S Ultimate um, from Meta.Corp. This is the one that got a lot of play about a year ago or so. Yeah. $130, $140 US. Um, it's, it's the one that I've got sitting here on my desk right next to me. I, I do have to eventually box it up and ship it back to the company. Are you um, not going to... You're not going to say, look, let me throw some money in there. No, no. I would like to keep it. Some part of me would, but um, I still have the Space Saver M, which is the IBM model keyboard. And that's down there on the floor between two cabinets. Uh, So I could pull that back out. But, uh, you know, this was, uh, I think they gave me 45-day loaner. (laughs) I've had it for like eight months. So I do got to no. I have to send it back. It's a it's a great keyboard. I gave it a ten out of ten, which is yeah. very rare for me to give anything that high of a score. But um, and honestly, I probably should have only given it a nine out of ten. There there is a few minor problems with it. You do have to click uh, push a modifier button to make the F keys work correctly on a Mac, mm-hmm. which I don't like. Now I could go change that. But I don't want to mess around with software changing my keys and ugh. And then, uh, but for me, the biggest problem is they put the number one. It, it takes two USB cables to plug it into your Mac, so you lose two USB ports. Which, ugh. And if look, let's be Why? honest. If you're well, because one is remember this is a mechanical keyboard, so it does draw right. more power, and it also has a USB hub. Now, if I don't want to uh, right. use the hub, okay. I don't have to plug both of them in. I only have to plug one of them yeah. in. But for the review, obviously, I, I want to plug both of them in. But it's only a two USB hub. And they put it on the right-hand side of the keyboard, right where any right-hand person is going to have their mouse. Yeah. And it's it's, just, it, it's really dumb the way they did it. They should have Those ports should have been on the back end of the keyboard. They Well, they, yeah, if they could have just... They're on the right on the top on the right side. They just moved them around the back. That that would have been fine. Right, but they didn't. Just literally around that right angle corner where it is. Yeah, it seems no one thought of that. <laughs> so well, maybe, maybe maybe there's an engineering reason why they had to go on the side. Oh, that's, sure, if they didn't want to spend an extra couple hours manufacturing <laughs> the first one to move some ports and run some wires and do some soldering, but otherwise there's no reason that they couldn't have done it the other way. Um, but that's that, those are small irritants, to be honest. It's a fabulous keyboard. And as someone who writes a lot, I, I, I'm just so much more accurate. And I've, and I've complained about this on the podcast in the past. Yeah. The, the, the keyboards that, you, that come free with Apple devices, I think, are terrible. I know a lot of people like them. I hate them. The chiclet keyboards. Mm-hmm. And then the ones that come with PCs are even worse. They're terrible keyboards. And what if, mice, yeah. keyboards, and trackpads. These are the things that, that's what you're in, using to interact with your computer all day long. Yeah. Why is that the weak point? That's the one part that you actually touch on a hourly basis. Well, that and the, that and the screen as well. And I always well, that's think, on iPads you know, and stuff. But that's your eyes. Yeah. I mean, and, and they do well, keep, yeah, they, no, but, Apple, for instance, everything's a retina display now for the most part. Not on yeah. the iMacs, but. Still, I mean, they made that better, and yet the keyboard just kind of languishes. And it's the same keyboard, in essence, that Apple's had for, what, now, a decade almost? Well, because a lot of people do like it. And um, it actually, you actually read reviews of, of Apple stuff, and um, a lot of people say the keyboards are good, particularly yeah. on the laptops. See, that's ignorance um, is bliss speaking. 
Well, yeah, I'm, I must admit, recently I switched from the wireless keyboard on my on my Mac Mini and work to a Logitech um, Mac wireless, a Denovo, a Denovo for Macintosh keyboard that I had lying around at home, and I kind of just thought I'd get it out again. And actually, it's far superior to yep. the uh, to the Apple keyboard. It takes some more space because it's bigger, but it is much, much better. And, and the principal reason I changed to it was because the wireless keyboard, the batteries in it last about two months. Yeah. This this Logitech, had, I've had it for two years, and I used it for at least a year before I put it away, and it's still got the original batteries in. Um, was Wow, the original batteries. Yeah, it's got it. I mean, it actually says in the box they they expect to get a two year battery life out of it, with constant use, and it's just like that's the way it should be because it's only a keyboard. <laughs> yeah. And, and the problem the problem with the, with the you know if you have a wireless keyboard, the wireless trackpad is not much better in terms of battery life. And you have those things, and you don't have a whole load of batteries lying around, and all of a sudden they die. You can't use your Mac anymore. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. Let me see. A non-optimal, I would say. Yeah, but the kind of weird thing about those these clicky keyboards is they used to give these away with a computer, and now you can't get them except for spending over a hundred dollars. I don't, I don't understand how that is. The uh, the only one I could figure that comes for me, and and I'm talking about desktop. The only one that I like, maybe. It's been so long since I've used one, to be honest. But the only one that I could think that I might like more now than the IBM Model M, which is what the DOS keyboard is based off of. It's kind of a a relative, but it's not a true IBM Model M. That's where the Space Saver M comes in, is the uh, Apple Extended Keyboard 2. And I think... I'm looking here. Let me see. Uh, Apple Extended Keyboard 2... OS X. Is anyone? No. Now let me do. Yeah. That's my favorite keyboard. Kind of. Um, there was a later, later model that came out. But it's the. I'm, if you do a Google search, it's a little hard to figure out which one I'm talking about. This is the beige one. Right. I had this with a Performa. And with a Quadra. And I really liked that keyboard. But yeah. there's still something about the Model M's, the, the the throw to them, that mechanical throw. And the DOS keyboard feels, and I say this in my review, it is the keyboard for a typing connoisseur. It really is. Um, it's just It's just so good. But anybody who wants to read my review... Uh, go to MyMac.com, scroll down a little bit, you'll find DOS Keyboard Model S Ultimate Review. And it's first review I've done in quite a while, David. Yeah, I've got, I've still got a couple outstanding. Um, I, I, I took a whole load of stuff for review while I was off with my back. Yep. And I've still got a couple of items that I haven't finished the reviews yet. And I, you know, I, I need to, I need to get on and, and do them. Um, one of them actually was for a very cool device, which was a, um, what are they called now? The uh, what are those camera mounts that the people like wear on on, on their helmets kind and of, stuff? No, no, the ones with not the not the uh, the go not the GoPros. The uh, the one the professionals use the Steadicam. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah Steadicam. Yeah. yeah. So this was a, this was basically was a Steadicam for your iPhone. 
and I tell you, it was it was pretty cool. The the video it produced was amazing. And the reason I haven't finished the review yet is because I actually need to sit down and edit the video so that you can go into the review. No, oh, I you really you. Need, you really need to see the output from this to yeah. see how good it is. It wasn't particularly expensive. If you're into if you're into video production, it was dirt cheap, really. Um, it's a video camera really, itself, or it's it, no, no. Basically, it's, it's a mount it's a, for it's like, like an iPhone. It's like a hand. It's like a hand grip that you put your iPhone into. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, what I thought it was. And then basically, it produces the steady cam effects. It I've seen those. The, uh, at various Macworld expos over the last few years, yeah, they look. I cool. tell you, well, it's the the thing is, if you if you use your iPhone for video and you actually want to take, you know, decent stuff of your family, then this is this is worth having because you know you if you shoot if you if let's face it, we all shoot video of our kids. Yep, and we'd all like to one day keep that video in an archive somewhere so that you know when the kids are. 20, 25, 30, whatever, and you and you occasionally have that conversation with your spouse. And like, oh, remember when you can go back and look at that video? I tell you, that video, if it's shot with one of these, is going to be nice to watch rather than, well, yeah, tolerable to watch because it's got the kids in it, but actually it's all jumpy and jerky and all that. It, it really transforms the way the video looks. I've it's, got um, a bunch of DV video, you know, the tapes. Yeah that I recorded using my uh, old Canon uh, GL2 that's still on tape. Now, a lot of it I actually, you know, either in Final Cut Pro or back then, iMovie, and converted them all over to DVD and burned DVDs out of the stuff. But I would edit it a lot. Yeah. You know, if it's 20 minutes of the kids playing in the backyard, I narrowed it down like two minutes for the DVD. Yeah. Now I want to see the whole footage. And I don't have it digitized. So I still have my Fireware 400 to 800 adapter, which will work just fine with a Canon. But I'm, I find issues sometimes. It doesn't always work correctly, this camera and a newer machine. So soon I need to start you know, hooking this camera up to my iMac and just start importing this. Uh, and then exporting it as a QuickTime movie. You know, this is this is one of the reasons I like to keep old machines around. Yeah. Because th- there are times when, rather than go through the hassle of trying to figure out how to get that stuff talking to new kit, new operating systems, and all that sort of thing, it's easier just to pick up the old titanium power port you got. Yeah. Plug it in. You're absolutely Get right. the stuff off it, and then move it to the new machine. You're for right. My my you problem know? there is I've been trying to downsize a lot of that stuff. Yeah. For personal reasons, I just I just don't need that much stuff anymore. No, um, I, well, I'm in the same position. I've got it coming out of my ears, but uh, yeah. I'm trying to pick I'm trying to pick the bits that I want to hold on to for those sorts of reasons. Because that's exactly when you want it is is those old videos, the old yep. um, you know all the I mean, let's face it, it's not going to be long before um, you're going to be in a position where you get a piece of software on on an optical disc, or you have a CD. Uh, I can imagine a situation that's five years when you look around the house and realize you don't have a single optical drive. Well, I'm at the point now, I mean, the footage that I'm talking about, nothing is newer than seven years ago. Yeah. So my daughter, my oldest daughter, second year of college, I want to see the videos from, you know, 10, 11 years ago. Yeah. And I want to see that. And I can't easily see it now. Yes, I can hook the camera up to the television. I can still do that and play it there, but 
that's not how I want them. And I want to digitize all this stuff. And well, yeah. I mean, like, let's face it, that camera and those tapes not going to last forever, are they? No, and that's what scares me. And what I want to do eventually, my workflow is probably going to still be using the new iMac once I get the camera working correctly with it. If I can, yeah. if I can get it working either with Final Cut Pro, Premiere, or iMovie. Those are my three choices. If I can't get it working with any of those, I'm going to have to find an old machine with an old piece of software and do it that way. Hook up my... Uh, my OWC Voyager, stick a two terabyte drive and just pour, import, you know, the raw footage to that drive. Yeah. And then work off that raw drive till I can create, you know, the one file of that event. Uh, make a couple copies of it on external media. So I've got a copy, put it on my media drive here at home, bring it into iTunes and I can watch it on any Apple TV. And my media drive is constantly backed up on a, if not a daily basis, at least a weekly basis. My photos, they're being backed up every other day. Uh, my MP3 collection every other day. So I, I'm backing everything up. And I've got a fireproof safe that I'm, I'm not using. I need to use. Um, to, you know, So I've got copies of all this stuff. But going forward, and I've mentioned this in the past as well, David, we've got to do a better job to stay current with that stuff because like you said eventually you're going to have a, have, a, have a hell of a time getting that old content yeah I mean thankfully we're still at the point now where you and I could jump on eBay and find a machine that can do it perfectly for almost no money you know a couple hundred bucks yeah mm-hmm but, yeah, but, that, but, that, but that's that's not going to last for long no but it, honestly the technology isn't the problem for me David it's the time each yeah, one of these is a ninety-minute tape. Yeah, I mean that's a, I, and I, it's one to one. You can't you can't speed that process up. It's literally playing on the camera, recording it in iMovie or Premiere or whatever, until you're done importing it. You, you know, that's why I like the the modern iPhones and stuff. Like the import isn't one to one; it's seconds. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but with tapes, yeah. it has to play at the normal speed and it has to record the whole thing. Hopefully, there's no hiccups. You know the the heads on the camera get dirty. You got to clean it. It's yep. it's a pain, and there's cords all over the place because you got to plug in the camera. You can't just use a battery because the battery's not going to last. So you no. got to plug in the camera with a little adapter so it's hooked up to the power. Then the camera itself has to go to the machine. Ugh. You got to have the right cable. They've got to have the right cable because right. they didn't have standard fireware ports on. They had they didn't have that little tiny one. Yep. So you got to normally you got to go and find the box. Well, that's what I've got. It's, it, that's a yeah, FireWire yeah. 400, but it's the small one. I've yeah. got that to a FireWire 800, so I can do it. It's not a problem. But yeah. uh, it, I just start thinking about it, and it, sometimes it just seems overwhelming. And here's the thing: the tapes are in this little drawer right on my desk. They're right there. Yeah. The camera itself well, is in a drawer right next to my desk. It's right there. Yeah. So is the cable. Even I can do if, it. Yeah. I tell you, even if you've got the stuff digitized, you know, you've still got a hell of a job there. I, I, yeah, realize, I was having funner. a conversation. Well, it is, but, but you know, it's still time. It is. I had a conversation with somebody a couple of weeks ago, and um, we were talking about my son, who's now 11, about what he was like when he was a, a small baby. And I started thinking about where all the pictures I have of him at that age are. And I realized that back then I wasn't on Macs. This was before the uh, before my Mac came into my life. I had a PC. And I seem to remember, and, and I, had one of, I had an early Sony digital camera. And I seem to remember that I had photos of him that were in, 
can't some it was called something like Adobe Photoshop album. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a very early attempt at a digital asset management system. It was, you know, it was kind of like a very cut down version of the early early versions of iMovie for the for the PC. Now, I have all of that data somewhere because I've never ever wiped a PC without or, or a computer without backing it up. And I've kept all the backups. And I actually have a directory on my Drobo that probably has, you know, probably nearly uh, eight, nine hundred gigabytes of backup data yep. for every machine I've ever had. And those photos will be in there somewhere. But you know what? Actually finding them is going to be quite a big job. Especially if you want to start using some of the new modern features in iPhoto, which is well, you know, faces I'm gonna have to, and... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to hope that um, that... Uh, Adobe album did not store them in a, Proprietary um, format. a database. Yeah, yeah. Even that the the actual raw JPEGs are still there because if they're not, then it's going to have to be firing up a virtual machine under XP and trying to find a copy of it to uh, to get that database in again to get the JPEGs out. And you know, th- all of this stuff takes time. Yeah, you and, could always. Um, uh, ugh, yeah, that would be difficult. You can always use screen capture and pull it that way, but eh. yeah, but they'd look like ass then, yeah. wouldn't they? But what you, but the important thing is you'd have them. I'd have them, yeah. You know, but this is the problem when you uh, as you talked about staying on top of this stuff. You you do kind of have to. You have to move everything over with with the times. Whereas before, you'd stick a photo, a paper photo, in an album, and that was it. You know, that was unless you had a fire or something, you had those pictures. But now they're kind of lost to the world until I get around to digging them out again. Yeah. Fun. All right, man. We should wrap up this episode of Tech Fan One Thirty Nine. Yep. Next week, I may I may have an iPad Air. Ooh. I look forward to Uh, uh, hearing about it. Yeah. And uh, I'm off to Hong Kong again in a couple of weeks, so I'm hoping that the iPad Minis will be out by then, so I can pick one up there. Yeah, I know the full size ones are. Um, Yeah. I saw some reports that Walmart has actually got them for twenty bucks cheaper already. So. Um. Yeah, I'm. I'm See looking that. forward to hearing what you think about it because I'm. I'm very. Look, you're. There. You've already said that you really like the iPad Mini. Well. Yeah. This is a faster, better screened iPad Mini, so I'm. I'd like to hear what you say about it. Yeah. All right, man. I'll Good. see you. All right. Speak soon. Bye.